episode six of Utah in the Weeds. I want to introduce, we have, we have a special guest, but of course we have to introduce the hosts of the show. I am uh, with Tim, Tim Pickett. How are you today? I'm good. I'm good. Uh, I'm so glad we're on a consistent basis for the last couple of weeks. It's amazing. How was your 420, buddy? Just like it should be. <laughs> I worked. Wait, you, I worked all day, but I made a lot of good, I made a lot of patients happy on 420. Awesome. And they can find you at utahmarijuana.org, right? Yes. utahmarijuana.org. utahmarijuana.org slash clinic is the uh, kind of the clinic page. And how about you, Chris? What? uh, I would invite people to go check out my other podcast, I Am Salt Lake, IamSaltLake.com. And uh, on that note, let's introduce our guest. I think, Tim, you could probably introduce her a little bit better than I could, or if you want me to. She's with the Utah Patients Coalition. Yes, Desiree Hennessy, really the leader of the Utah Patients Coalition, in my opinion. I don't know very many other people who do as much as you for that organization, but definitely a leader in the cannabis space and an advocate for patients in Utah for medical cannabis and just tirelessly has worked for patients for years on this project. Uh, Tell us a little bit about yourself, Desiree. Well, for one, it's not tirelessly. I am tired. So um, I have, yeah, I am the director of the Utah Patients Coalition. And, you know, we work with other organizations, the Utah Medical, sorry, not the Utah Medical Association. We do work with them, the Utah Cannabis Association and Libertas. And we um, have just been trying to get good policy. And here in Utah, um, the Utah Patients Coalition was the ones who created and passed uh, prop two. And I wasn't the director then that was DJ Shans and he did an awesome job. And, and it was just, it started then, you know, in, in 2014, 2015, just trying to get patients access and why was this so hard? And, uh, and then over the years, you know, we realized we were not going to get a, anything passed through the legislator, through the legislative body. And so we talked to DJ and he agreed to start a ballot initiative, and we did it and we passed it. And well, kind of, <laughs> there was, there was that whole compromise and all of that, that dirty business, but um, we have a plan in place now. And so now Tim knows a little bit about this as we designed a plan, we were trying to get ink on paper and we didn't have a lot of knowledge in what the doctors were specifically going to need and what industry was specifically going to need. And you know, we, we knew what we wanted patients to have. And now we're trying to make all of that work, you know, with industry, doctors, patients, and see how we can get, you know, just this, just an easy route for patients to be able to get access. Is that really the, the whole focus the whole time has been really just, it seems like getting patients access, not really even getting uh, recreational marijuana, but specifically your focus has always really been the patient. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's hard not to have that focus and Tim is a, is a, a medical provider. I'm sure you feel the same way. It's just, I mean, you see him day in and day out you see the suffering, you hear the stories and you just think I could, you know, I could take my knowledge and I can, I can help you. And it's really hard when the only thing standing in your way is, is a law that doesn't really necessarily make sense. And so, you know, we, that's what we do. You know, we just, I see the patients and they're, I mean, the, the most horrible stories. And, and I got involved in this because my son has extreme special needs and he was, he had a lot of nerve pain and nothing was helping. Nothing was helping. 
and the the deeper I got into this as a you know as an advocate for my family, I realized we were one of the lucky ones. I mean, you look at the other stories and the, and the other patients, and I was so humbled to just see the horrible things they were going through and how blessed we were. I mean, he just had nerve pain, you know. I mean, he was in a lot of pain, but so many people have it so many so much worse, and so just feeling for them and wanting to help them and. You know, we have patients that come to us because they got, they were, they were legal or they were almost legal and they got caught by the police. And it's, you know, it's our job to, to kind of help them navigate through this strange law that we've created to give them a space to be able to, to be legal. And uh, that's pretty much what we do all day. How old is your son? You mentioned you have a special needs son, correct? Is that kind of what got you into the whole cannabis as medicine and uh, looking further into uh, more research on it? Is that that's kind of what got you into it, right? Yeah, totally. I um, when I when they first told me about cannabis, it was his uh, massage therapist who would come and he was like, you know what, I uh, I recommend that you try medical cannabis. You know, he's like, for people like this, that's all I've you know, I just and I was so mad. You know, I was like, why would you, like, he's in a lot of pain and you're telling me to go get some weed, you know, like I was so. Right. How old was he? He was 20, 22. So he's 25 now. Um, age is hard with him because he doesn't really grow and he doesn't really mature. So I, his age is always odd for me, but, um, he's, he's 25. He'll be 26 here in two weeks. But, you know, he's nonverbal. He doesn't walk. He'll, you know, he doesn't talk with him. It's, it's, it's hard because he can't really tell us what is going on either. And so we kind of just need something to blanket, make him comfortable. And pain meds have never done that for him. Um, nerve blockers have never done that for him. And he's not the only one. And and so I did rely, interestingly enough, on other patients so much through the, through the years. And I've said, oh, you have nerve pain. And this is the same one we think he has what do you use to treat it? And it's been really interesting to have patients be able to give me their feedback and use their voice to, to help treat my son. That's pretty impressive story. Uh, uh, So take us back to, uh, it was 2016, right? And like, right when this compromise all thing happened, the prop two is going to pass. I mean, really it, it was, it looked like it was going to pass to me. And then all of a sudden, bam, it just got, it got shut down, compromise, and you're done. Do you feel like that was a good, that was a good move now looking back? Do you feel like you probably had the upper hand, didn't negotiate hard enough? Like, what's your view of that now? Well, um, the view of it, what we had to portray to the public and what was really happening are two totally different things, right? Like we did not want, we were trying to, easiest way to say this is we had, um, when we started this initiative, we had 78% approval rating. We were feeling pretty confident and we were holding that. Um, we went down to like 72. That's not bad. You know, we're going to, we're going to rock this. This is going to be amazing. We were, and then when they created in, I think August drug safe Utah, and then they teamed with the LDS church, um, they came out with a campaign and they had millions of dollars of funding. I don't know if you'll remember this, but we had a couple initiatives that year that were headed, you know, on, that were going to be put on the ballot and they were charging, you know, $6 a signature. And, you know, for these gathering teams to gather signatures and the Utah Patients Coalition, we had a very tiny budget. And so we were 
gather using majority of volunteers to gather signatures. There was signature gathering companies um, hired, but the what we were paying them was, oh, I think it was like $2 a signature or something. Like we were, we had no budget. So in Drug Safe Utah teamed with the um, Mormon church and there was a couple other churches that got involved in the Utah Medical Association. And I think there was like 20 senators and, and representatives that signed it. Um, this letter and they all said, you know, we're all against this. This is a recreational bill. And um, we had our own patients. We had a couple of our own LDS patients fracture and say, oh yeah, we're going to, we're going to go with the church on this. We can't stand against our church. And so at that point, our numbers started declining very rapidly. And I think I remember reading this and there was something on your website about this. Yeah, uh, probably. Like the truth. the, the yeah, truth, was, why why this looked one way, but really the the public, I mean, like we we it looked like we were gonna lose. We lost. We by August, we had the we had zero dollars at UPC. And I mean basically zero dollars. Everything was earmarked for something. And uh and we had they had, I think they said they still had, we, we, we found out they had like 5 million left or 2 million left and to run, to run ad campaigns. And our, um, and we, we didn't, we couldn't tell anybody, but our approval rating was 48% in August and we had no budget. They had plenty of budget. And even though Fox 13 was taking all of the commercials that we're doing and saying, this is a lie, this is a lie, this is a lie. It was still dropping our ratings. And so we had really no we had no choice at that point. We could not tell everybody we lost guys. They dropped our ratings because then we had no negotiation power to go into a compromise. Right. And so DJ heads in there with Connor from Libertas, just because Connor is really good at, at law better than most of the other people in the room, if not all of them. And DJ is really good at not taking no for an answer. I mean, if you're ever in a going into a fight, that's who you want. And and we talked as a team. Who are we sending in? And it was obviously DJ because his he was the owner of Utah Patients Coalition. But also he was the best person because he wouldn't take no. And he didn't. When they went in there, uh, they were told by Drug Safe Utah and by, you know, Greg Hughes, you're never going to get anything smokable and you're never going to get raw flour. And THC, they wanted it basically the level of hemp. Just, you know, around point, you know, 0.3% or whatever they they were not going to get more than that. And so I mean, we were just sick, right? We're like, you're taking us clear back to 2014, 2000, I'm sorry, 2016. And where you're saying that we're, no, nothing, no THC, no, like, what did we win? You know, we just did all this. We worked so hard and we're going to be worse. And, uh, you know, through the compromise, they were able to, to get more and more and more. And actually it was interesting because, you know, DJs drug through the mud a lot over, over this and, what people don't understand is that he had no choice, but he called me one day and he, and he just said, Des, and he just sounded like crap. And he goes, Des, I, I feel like Patty Hearst. He's like, I feel like, you know, they offer me a breadcrumb and I'm like, okay, okay. Thank you. You know, cause he's <laughs> like, we had nothing. We have nothing. We have no standing ground. And he's like, and we all know that without this compromise, either we lose on election day or in Jan on January you know, 13th, when they go into the session, they take it all away anyway. And they had promised it. We knew they were doing it. So knowing those things doesn't make it sting less, right? Like I still sometimes think that 
it would be so much easier if I didn't have to wait for doctors to give a letter, right? Wouldn't that be, holy crap, it would just be so easy for patients to just say, I have a qualifying condition, here's my documentation and I'm going to use. But is it probably better in the long run? Yeah, right? Like doctors are getting involved. There's education that's happening. I wish there wasn't this gridlock right now, but it is what it is. I don't love the law that we have. I have intentions on changing a lot of it eventually, but we have something. We have ink on paper. No one's trying to take from us what we already have. And I'm able to have patients use THC and use as much of it as they need and, and, you know, relieve pain. I have cancer patients that are terminal that are using a lot of cannabis that are able to still find relief. And that's something we can offer, you know, even last year. No, you couldn't even offer it on the 24th of February in blister packs. Mm-hmm. No. no but see, <laughs> right. Blister packs is one of the worst things that came out of the compromise. And I'll never no, forget that. No, but you like, had to do it. We had to do it. We're, it was either we agree to blister packs or we have no raw flour. And so right, we agreed right. to blister packs knowing that we were planning on getting rid of them. And we did before anybody ever had to build a blister pack. For as much flack as we took over a blister pack. And and they were they were yes. laughable, right? But we never had to put one in. No patient ever had to use one. No, I do have a few patients who got in some trouble uh, for not having the raw flour in a blister pack in December with a letter, uh, and they still are they're still fighting that in there in the court. But yeah, Send we, we have them some me, help if we can. Do you good? We have a couple really good cannabis lawyers that that know the law, and most prosecutors are just kind of taking a hands off at this point. So if that doesn't begin to happen in their cases, let me know. Yeah, I will. Because this, uh, this particular case, I think it's the prosecutor. I've been told that it's the prosecutor who's kind of pressing the, pressing the issue despite the apparent legality of, of the situation. So this is a really like, I like people to hear that story about the compromise and about where we came from because I think it's important that people know. I mean, this was kind of a hard fight. Although I don't see, like, I see a lot of benefit in the law. I don't come from a space where you know, I, there are some things I want to change about the law, of course, as a medical provider, right? I mean, number one's 275, right? But, <laughs> right. The, but I know there's a lot of, there's things that I like about the law. Like, I like having medical providers involved. Um, because it legitimizes it with our, my peers, right? Right. If, if we weren't involved and you could just go down to the dispensary and say, Hey, I have a condition I need access. Well, you know, you take us out of it and then you delegitimize it for all the medical providers, right? You totally do. It would be easier for me right now, right? (laughs) If that wasn't the case, (laughs) but in the long run, it's the way we're going to build good science, Right. And be able to show people that, yeah, you know, this condition was used for this and we have doctor's notes and we have everything, you know, it's the way to make this actually a medical plan. And if we ever want to ask, which I'm hoping we'll be asking again soon, um, you know, at the DC level for, you know, descheduling, then we have to be able to show that this is used medicinally. And when there's providers involved in that, that's how you do that. Now, how did you come up with the qualifications that, uh, right now that are needed. I know that this is a question I see all the time. It's like, why, why does an anxiety and why not, you know, right. this one? Yeah, why not migraines? One? Why not glaucoma? Well, yeah, migraines glaucoma. is there. So migraines is there with pain. So we were, we, we were trying 
And I still push for no conditions list. I would like a doctor or a provider, a medical provider and the patient to be able to decide if they want to try medical cannabis. I don't want to restrict them by by law um, if the doctor is willing and the patient is willing. But how we came up with the conditions list was a looking, it was a tug of war, obviously, and it was looking at other states and what they had used and what they had felt that they had been successful. We got some huge wins. We were the first state to ever have autism as a qualifying condition right out of the gate. We, our pain is a lot easier than most states. Most states, you have to have documentation of pain and you've had to have tried other meds. Utah is just if you've had pain longer than two weeks and and other things you've tried haven't helped, but there's not really a documentation process. So pain is awesome. Also our cancer, some states require you to take uh, six months MRIs and, and prove to them that you still have your cancer. And we don't require any of that. So there was just a lot of looking at other states that that in the compromise and, and you know, that they felt had been successful in keeping a medical plan and uh, and what they felt like they could prove. Like, can you, and anxiety was, and autoimmune diseases were some of the ones that they were more nervous about because they thought, well, everybody has anxiety. And so how are we going to be able to control this plan if everybody's on it? And so, and autoimmune diseases, they felt like was very broad as well. And so they wouldn't allow those. Um, bipolar disorder was something that I wish we would have gotten on, but doctors claim that there is a data saying that it can cause like schizophrenia for um, some bipolar patients. There's some interesting data regarding psychosis and uh, schizophrenia specifically. And it, it just, it kind of depends on which which of the studies and, and how you like to read the data. Right. And that's what I felt when I read them. But we also have um, uh, Columbia Care and I believe Zion both have medications or, or, you know, cannabis products that they claim that you can use and they do not and they do not affect people with bipolar disorder. So I'm hoping that when the product review board here in Utah can get that information, then they will start to allow more things like that for people with now, bipolar. Have you, and, um, go ahead. No, I was just saying, and, and then we have, you know, I would really like to add anxiety. I would really like to add depression, you know, so those are and insomnia. Sleep disorders would be huge for me. I, I think those are coming. I have a couple of patients who are in the compassionate use board right now for anxiety. Uh, and I think that it's kind of an interesting, uh, it's an interesting uh, question that I wanted to ask. And um, there are some patients who want to ask that question on whether or not they can use it for anxiety and sleep disturbance. Have you heard of anything with the Compassionate Use Board or have you been involved in any, uh, what do you know about the Compassionate Use Board as it exists now? I actually was able to help review the doctors that are put on there. The seven of them, they tried to get a, what they call the balanced board. And uh, the meetings are closed now. I was at the first meeting that they had that was open to the public. And I, I met the doctors and I was able to meet like the, the doctor that you would appeal to if the board turned you down. So I'm Dr. Sunwall. He's wonderful. I feel like I'm nervous about the board. I hoped that they would be an ally. And I think that there's some of them that are, are an ally. I am actually on our website. We're getting a spot prepared where you, if you get turned down from the compassionate use board, we're hoping that patients will get on there and just register and say, 
I went to the Compassionate Use Board. I was approved or denied. And what was my condition if they're willing to put that? Because then that gives me information to go back and say, hey, this board is rejecting everybody that had a sleep disturbance or every pediatric patient. And I need that data to be able to fight them and make sure that they're actually an asset for patients and not another hurdle. And uh, I'm nervous for pediatric patients. Um, If I could say anything to any patient that is going to be applying to the Compassionate Use Board from the knowledge that I have, I would say, please try, you know, CBD first because they're going to expect that of you. And if you, I, I believe that if you have a history that you can show that I've been using cannabis and it's been working, that you're going to get through easier. I do know Dr. Mark Babbitts really well, and he is a non-voting member of the board and he's our ally a hundred percent. And uh, Dr. Sunwell, I believe, is really wants to help. There's a lot of them on there that do. I just feel like they're still in that group of people. There's still a lot of fear and they still believe in pharmaceuticals over cannabis. And if hmm. that was the case, I mean, this is a board of people that we have to understand. These patients have been there. They've done that pharmaceutical route and now they're looking for something else. And I'm, I'm nervous, but I'm hopeful that let me know your par- your patients. If they get denied, I don't need to know their names. I just want to know if they get through or not. Oh yeah, for sure. I have, there's, there's a handful in the compassionate use board right now. And I don't know how often they meet right now, but I, it's my understanding that it's at least every couple of weeks. Yeah. So nobody has an idea on percentage that makes it through there or anything. There's no percentage. Nobody we just them. can't. I got to help review the application and the application was done a couple weeks ago. We are in the very beginning of this, but I do have some, some doctors that I know really well on there that I'm, I'm confident that they will look at these as patients that have tried everything and then give them the option. Uh, but then I know that there are other doctors on there. I would say specifically uh, the neurologist that does not necessarily like cannabis. So how do we educate those doctors? How do we right? educate those doctors on the board to to enjoy cannabis, to like cannabis, to love cannabis, right? Hopefully their peers are um, the ones on there that know enough because there's someone there that know a lot. And like Dr. Mark Babbitts, he's a non-voting member, but he has really gotten into the nitty gritty of the science of all this and and he's he's sold. And we, you know, we can contact the members of the board anytime and I you know, we have done that. And so I think you're right. I mean, that reminds me that I do need to make sure that I'm making content, uh, constant contact with them and, and making sure they have the latest and greatest education. I think Tim could help with that. And, you know, maybe, maybe make sure they're getting all of the education they need and that they have a place to ask questions. Cause even though that they are, you know, the compassionate use board, there's people out there that know more than them about cannabis and treating patients. And we need to make sure that they are involved with those people. I think getting them involved with industry is crucial. So as far as industry goes, like what's the influence on your side from industry? Because I know Libertas, uh, I mean, they have industry backing, I would, uh, I guess, guess, no, or, or, but your backing is primarily just patients. Do you have, are there interests that are other than patients that you support? So as far as like, backing like who pays us is that what you're asking kind of yeah so we have i don't think that i think connor from libertas i think they've gotten maybe a couple thousand dollars 
from anybody in industry. And I don't know that, I don't, I don't know that for sure that they did. I think that's a possibility. So, um, I still am not bringing in any money. So we're still, because we've got, I, I always said we wouldn't take any money from patients. They have to pay out every, everywhere. Right. So we're not, so we haven't charged patients. Um, when I begin helping out industry more and we are doing that, like I, the idea is that they would pay to the, they'd pay dues to the Utah Cannabis Association. And then they could also pay me. The difference, the, the hard part is, is that I don't ever want to be owned by industry, right? Like my dedication has to always be to patients and the plan. So far, I feel like all of the industry though, they just want what's best for patients too. So I feel confident there. We will probably... And we've been looking at this, just, you know, putting up what we do and maybe just going out and looking for some donors, mostly just to like keep the website going and things like that. I mean, we, we do a lot of things, but yeah, no, no real interest in part of it is because I don't want to be owned by anybody. I want to just focus on making sure that nobody can ever say that, oh, I had money from legislators or I had money from industry to say that that's why we did what we did. Mm, that's good. I think people uh, should know that they should be able to hear that from you because I think that everybody uh, or a lot of people that I talk to, they wonder if the industry has the push, right? That it's all about selling product and and the dispensaries and and then the state and how much the state is making. And I frankly think the state's not making enough. Um, you know, with a three dollar yeah. transaction fee, I don't know how they're going to make any money at they this. They have they put on some hefty fees to the industry. Oh, did so, they? yeah, they did. Like, they put on some okay. good fine. <laughs> They're going to be fine. So, um, <laughs> we'll see. I, I think they'll be, I think they'll be fine. Um, but that's another thing though, is the fees, the, the fees for patients when it comes to industry, I worry about that, but you know, I, I love the industry. I've, I feel like we have so much of the common goals, but I need it to be very clear always that I work for patients. And that's, that's our main goal is getting patients access. That's why we started. That's why Utah Patients was born. That's why the ballot initiative happened. It's never been, nobody's ever made money off of this. Nobody. It's, there's, nobody's really ever got gain off of Utah Patients Coalition. It's just people dedicated to fighting for what's right here in Utah. What are you, uh, how's COVID? Uh, I mean, that's the, like the big question, right? The yeah. How's this affecting what you do and what the what's happening in the uh, in the space now? I feel like it couldn't have happened at a better time if for me. I've I've thought that a couple times because we had the the session and then everything got closed down right after the session, right? And so we got our work done that we need to get done. This is kind of the time when everybody just kind of like breathes in, watches to see how everything plays out with the changes they made. And I have a lot of work coming up for what industry needs done and making those connections with doctors and everything, but they, uh, industry is most of them aren't starting until this summer. So we have two up and running and I can balance what they need and getting patients there and understanding with them pretty well. And then a lot of it's been just stuff that it was kind of easier for me to be getting done at home, planning for the future. One of the things we're working on is we have a, cannabis drug rep. He just is graduated and he wanted to be a, you know, medical pharmaceutical rep. And so he's 
contacted us. And so he's going to start like learning the product in Utah, going to doctors, talking about that, you know, getting in good with the, with the grows and the um, dispensaries and the processors. And, and, you know, so getting that education and making sure those positions are good and strong are excellent. And he probably will be paid for by industry because it'll be industry that needs him to go, you know, sell their products basically. And so, so I've had a kind of, it's been good. It's been good for me to be able to just sit down and, and get what I needed to done at home. It's been interesting to not have meetings or meetings like this where you're, you know, you're wearing your slippers. But um, I was going to ask one of our big things is, and, and I was glad to talk to you, Tim, is because how is it working for you with patients we don't have first visit telehealth. We were unable to get the governor to move on first visit telehealth for cannabis. I mean, he came out. Oh, and he Rich said, and I talked about this. Right. Well, and yeah. you know, and we were. Oh, I, I had sold Vickers. There's no doubt. Like I think Vickers was on board, and they, you know, the the Department of Health didn't didn't really want it, but. And, and the, I can tell you why, and it makes kind of sense. But, you know, when the governor came out and said, hey, we're going to do first visit telehealth for everybody, he didn't, can, because cannabis wasn't included in that because in our law specifically, it said you can have telehealth, but not first visit. And so that excluded us from his broad stroke of, hey, let's just do telehealth visits. Now, that being said, I did do some research and I called around to some different clinics and everything. And, and I was like, hey if we wanted to transfer records here, would we have to do first, do we have to come in for the first visit or would you do telehealth for the first visit? And they're like, Oh no, we require everybody to come in first visit. And so I didn't have a big leg to stand on when I couldn't say, Hey, I called Tanner clinic. I called Intermountain. I called, you know, and they're all saying we could do telehealth first visit if it was for any other condition. So I was losing my, I was losing my any kind of hope that I had to kind of convince them that they were treating us differently. I was really upset about it, but I hoped that we would be able to make some kind of change because we, you know, I mean, they're doing the legislator, like the, the special session over zoom conference. Right. So I'm like, come on. Right. Right. If you're doing that, if you're legislating, like, over telehealth, on, you're making you probably law. Do this. yeah. So I was, right. I was kind of bummed. Um, but again, um, most doctors, the first time they meet a patient, they turns out they do want to see a patient. And I talked to other providers that were saying, okay, but we can make it our own policy to see them next time, you know, and as long as they're not taking a medication that we know is going to interact, we feel confident letting them just do telehealth. And we sent a couple letters in and they were just like, sorry, not right now. And so how's that working for you, Tim? I actually want to know how, what do you think? We do two. I do two things, right? I I still work in uh, surgery, and we uh, we have moved to a first patient uh, telehealth um, situation yeah. on those, um, but only because we can't do elective surgeries, so we can't we can't do a surgery anyway. So we interview the patient and then order testing that way. Um, I was mixed on the telehealth for the cannabis. Um, and that's what I, that's what I explained to the department of health when they called me about this. And I, uh, my, my point was, you know, you have a lot on your plate. The department of health mm -hmm. is strapped with COVID. I know because right. I work in a hospital, how much work that is and how much we needed all hands on deck to that. So I thought, uh, to be honest, cannabis was a second, uh, a backseat issue 
compared to COVID and it should stay that way. And so I said, if this causes you to spend resources on uh, cannabis over COVID, then my answer is don't do it. Um, So that was my opinion, but we're still seeing patients. We're being extremely careful. We do a lot of the visit on the phone and Mm -hmm. um, apart, and we only meet the patient face-to-face as part of the legal part of the, the, um, the visit. And we maintain our distance because we don't have to do physical exams like in normal uh, clinic visits. So we're making it work. Are we seeing as many patients? Absolutely not. Is it ideal? No, of course not. But the patients who need to be seen are being seen, in my opinion. There's some patients who, frankly, even stay in their car. You know, if you're 72 years old, I don't even let you come in. I will come to you and meet you face to face and we'll do the rest of it on the phone and that's fine. Yeah, I also put something on my uh, Facebook page, the Utah Patients Coalition Facebook page, and I just said, hey, is anybody struggling? Like, is anybody struggling not being able to be seen? And I think we had like three people reach out and say yes. Everybody else was like, no, we're, we're everything's good. We got it worked out. I did get some interesting messages back saying, oh, I went and saw this and this provider and yeah, they're just doing telehealth anyway. And I'm like, mm-hmm, let's not oh, talk about that really? anymore. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, <"Shh." laughs> All right. <laughs> so yeah. So I mean, they're making it work. Any other questions, Tim, or should we wrap this uh, episode up? Have you, either of you guys been to the Logan uh, pharmacy dispensary up there yet? Yeah, I spent 420 there actually. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's awesome. How was that? So it's Perfect Earth. Their grow is, or their business is True North. And they are opening up, they have one in Logan, and then they're going to open up one in Weber County. And they're one in Weber County. You know when that one's opening? Hopefully, hopefully May 1st. Um, They've had to postpone it a couple times just with construction issues. Um, Getting people on a job site and stuff is just difficult right now. And so they have postponed it. They were hoping to open that one on 420 and had to postpone that one. So they did some good specials at their Logan dispensary on 420. And I went in there um, and was able to do a little Facebook live. Um, they gave me a visitor pass because I'm not a legal patient. So I'm not even supposed to be back there, but we can do a little visitor pass. I have to sign in and say why and, you know, and so they can track me. But I went in there and did like a little Facebook live and was able to talk to him about some product. And they had a good deal on some just disposable cannabis pens. It was like a, a lemon something. And, and they were just lemon $20. Lemon Dream for the from day. Zion. Was that? Yeah, Lemon Dream yeah. from Zion. I know it's from yeah. Zion. And uh, they in the, they were $20 for the day. And I think they're going to keep selling those for $20 until they're out. I heard a lot of patients got those and liked those. And, you know, it was a good, clean place. Uh, it was... I was there for a couple hours watching and talking to the pharmacists and steady stream of patients all day long. They said that they're getting, and I was worried um, about Cash Valley. That's one of the ones that we didn't know if we were going to get any patients, right? Like, is anybody going to show? And we have six providers in Logan. And so is there going to be enough? You know, is, is it? I was worried about them, but they said that they're getting about 50 patients a day. And, and that's, that's not bad, right? Like, yeah, I mean, I've been called quite a few times. There's quite a few patients who can't get in down here and they're driving all the way up there 
uh, yeah. because they need to, they want to get in a little bit sooner, which right. is fine. You know, I mean, it, it's worth the drive. Uh, when the Weber County opens up, that'll be even better. Uh, but yeah, it was good. It was, you know, it's run like an office. It's, you know, there's for as much worry as there was about having actual dispensaries in Utah, you know, it's like walking into a, an office building and then somebody talks to you about, you know, your product and, you know, they were able to show me some of the product they have. They don't have jars yet because something to do with like the processing, whoever makes them with COVID-19 or something. They, so they, so even their bud is in a bag right now. And so they hope to be able to change that soon. And, but it's, yeah, I took some pictures you can get on our Facebook page and look and it was, it's good. It's good. So I've been to Dragonfly. Dragonfly was actually my first dispensary I ever went in ever. So I passed a cannabis, you know, law and had never actually even been in, (laughs) never been in a dispensary. And I, you know, and I, I got in there and I walked in and I was like looking around and then it was like all business to me because I'd never, I was like, okay, you know, let's check this off our list. There's a speech and then we're going to get some patients. And it was just so business. And then I walked in and I like, it took me a second. I was like, I've never been in one before. And Ben Winslow was like, oh yeah, this looks like something in in Nevada or something. And I was like, I've honestly, this is my first dispensary I've ever been in. And everybody laughed at me, you know? So that, so Dragonfly or, or Perfect Earth was my second. And I'm excited to be able to go in May and see their other one and just good, clean facilities. So now why didn't you ne- never visit another dispensary? Like, why did you never drive to Colorado to go check right? out a dispensary? Wouldn't, not because I didn't want to. But you have to remember, I have a medically fragile son, so I don't, I don't leave anywhere. Like, you know, I have to hire a nurse to go to a meeting in Salt Lake. So, okay, you know, so he's, so I just had never, I'd never been. I haven't left the state. Wow. I had, you know, kudos to you. This is uh, <laughs> that's pretty, that's pretty special, actually. It was nice. The I fact was actually that you did glad. all this work and have never been in one. Yeah, so I'm glad was, you've got a chance to experience it a little bit. Can listeners, how can listeners get involved with uh, Utah Patients Coalition or well, can they get involved? They can. We always need volunteers um, and just even volunteers to, we have a, a Facebook page that they can, they can join um, and it's Utah Patients Coalition. And then we also have a separate Facebook page that um, is just a, a part of that one. And it's a, it's called dosing pains and strains. We get that strains is not the appropriate word, but it rhymes. And so, so dosing pains and strains and they can get on there. And that's just kind of a place where patients can speak freely about product that they're using, where they're getting it, you know, what they're using it for and have other patients and, and industry actually like help answer questions. So, um, and then, you know, we're always looking for, you know, just to build up the community because right now there's not a lot of need, but like legislative session and, and getting people involved and and just getting feedback about what the compassionate use board is doing, what products they need that they're not getting, what, what conditions they need added to the list. We need that information and I need their help getting it passed. I can stand there all day as one person or, you know, with my small team and say, this is what we need because patients say so. But if patients are saying that they need that, it's a thousand times more, you know, better than just me. So Utah Patients Coalition, go there, join it. You know, we can we can help you with a ton of things, answer questions, and then but there's always things that we can use help with. So any other questions you want to ask her, Tim? No, I just want to make sure that everybody knows out there that your letter, um, because there's multiple uh, pharmacies open, your letter is only good at the first 
dispensary that you register your letter with. So if you have a letter and it's registered for one of the dispensaries, you must get your official card to transfer between the two dispensaries or the two pharmacies. And as more open up, this is becoming more and more important. And so there's a big incentive to get your official card. If you're a patient with only a letter, um, reach out to or go on Utah Patients Coalition website. They have a list of, you have listings for providers there um, for geographic area. If you're in Salt Lake City, of course, you can look up utahmarijuana.org to find me. And that was only my, that was my only other thing that I wanted to bring up with you here tonight was this letter issue and making sure that everybody and knew. And before you walk in, the, the dispensaries that are open are asking that you've maybe emailed that in first. And so they've had a chance to contact your doctor and make sure that it's a legit letter because they have to approve that letter. I was in the, the dispensary on 420 and a patient came in and had their letter with them. And because it wasn't busy at the moment, they were able to, that person called the doctor's office was able to let them talk on the phone for a minute and that worked. But even while I was there, uh, they were answering phone calls and you could tell what they were doing. They're like, yes. And what patient is that? Okay. And then some doctors and providers, I say doctors, but really there's more than doctors. It's providers are, they'll just send in a, a list. And so then the dispensary has it right there. And so when that patient comes in, if they're on that list, they can just mark it. So there's ways to, to do it, but you do have to be a little bit proactive and make sure that, that you, um, you don't get there and end up being turned away. Thank you so much. Make sure to uh, subscribe to the podcast and whatever podcast uh, app that you listen to this in. Leave us a review in Apple Podcast too. Uh, I'd like to read some on the show. We got one so far, so we need to get some more though, right, Tim? That's right. Utah in the weeds, more reviews. And one more time, Tim, how can people get a hold of you or find you get a hold of you if they want to even, you know, get their well, cards yes. through you? Yes, I'm Tim Pickett, uh, utahmarijuana.org. Uh, my office number, 801-851-5554. You can call us. We'll answer any question you have about uh, the conditions, getting a card, if you have a letter, how to how to transfer that over to getting a card. Uh, regardless, even if you're with some other another provider, uh, we're happy to help. Very cool. And go check out my other podcast. I am Salt Lake. I am Salt Lake.com. I am Salt Lake podcast. There's like 430 episodes. Been doing it almost eight years. So there's a lot of episodes there. Great job. So go, go check it out. Anyway, uh, that's it. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks. Be safe out there.